Well, coming up next, Thursday Finance on 2NURFM. For our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners, and Stephen Pritchard joins me, Jane Klein, will be talking about dividend reinvestment, what it is and all the things you need to think about with it. We'll also have a market update with Henry Jennings today and uh, see what currencies and commodities are doing. And we'll also find out about some changes that might affect your rewards cards, your frequent flyers cards. Stephen Pritchard, credit cards that are linked to rewards programs and frequent flyer uh, programs, just there might be a change happening there. Yeah, what's been happening is the the Reserve Bank uh, has been for a couple of years now looking into all the fees and charges and, and involved in credit cards. And, and initially they looked at the fee that merchants were, were charging you to accept the credit card. Now, they, they put out uh, some recommendation that merchants weren't supposed to charge more than the actual cost of accepting the fee. Um, and, and, you know, the practice has still got on. So I think that's in the process of being made law. But, you know, if the fees, ex- you know, if you think you're getting, you know, charged too much, you can always say to the merchant, well, you know, I don't want to pay it. And quite often they will, you know, they, I've had the experience they'll waive the fee. So quite often the merchants do pass at least some of the fee on. Well, I think yeah. a lot of them are passing on considerably more than the fees. I, I know what we get. The, I know what we get charged in the practice, and the, and the fees that are being charged uh, are considerably more than we're paying. And, and, and you know, I think there's a, lot, there's a number of people still, you know having a large markup on them. So the next thing they're looking at is the interchange fees, which is what one bank charges another for the acceptance of a, a, um, a credit card transaction. And the premium cards, which are the ones that you've been referring to, has all sorts of um, supposed benefits, such as a free travel insurance, but make sure you read the terms and conditions on that, um, and the um, frequent flyer points and the reward points and the... Uh, velocity points, I think, is the other one. Yeah, um, what's been happening is that the, the the companies, the banks who are issuing those, have been charging a higher fees to the banks who are accepting them, and that's all been passed on the consumer, and it's all very opaque, and no one really knows what's going on. So basically, I think you're going to find that the, the Reserve Bank's going to make a statement sooner or later that you know this practice has all got to stop. Now, what what that's probably going to mean for the um, holder of the uh, rewards cards um, is that the rewards cards are going to be uh, scaled back or the the higher annual fees going to be imposed because somewhere along the line someone has to be paying for your frequent flyer points or your um, free insurance coverage or, or, or you, one of them's got to Somewhere have, someone's got a price guarantee or something if you see a price higher than what you paid lower than what you paid within 30 days you can go and ask for your, yes. your money back so, so someone's paying for all that stuff and, and, and you know the Reserve Bank wants that made all more transparent I so that's what that's all about okay so there might be less from our, our rewards less fewer rewards uh, I think I think what you're going to find is that the people who are getting the rewards are going to have to pay for the rewards instead of the perception that they're free now because someone else is really paying for them. Mm, okay. In the meantime, what about currencies? In the commodities? meantime, the currencies, commodities, which we're all paying for. Um, the gold price, the gold price was down, um, you know, slightly in the week by one point eight or two percent, which is a fair movement actually in eight dollar terms, uh, to sixteen hundred and sixty seven dollars an ounce. Uh, the silver price was relatively steady at ten dollars, uh, twenty dollars fifty six. And the copper price, uh, unlike the iron ore price, uh, the copper price was down uh, 
quarter percent for the week for 6,558 and the nickel price was down 3.5 percent so they're the industrial metals um so the uh the aussie dollar is continuing its upward trend um so um it's, it's marvelous how the forecasters change their position actually i mean it wasn't so long ago they were talking about 50 percent 50 cents to the dollar now i saw yesterday westpac's targeting 77 so um the us dollar we're now now 77 74 cents which was up 1.6 on the week we're up against the great british pound which was 52p um, we're up against the New Zealand dollar by 3%, which is $1.12. And the euro cents, we're up 1.2% to 67 euro cents. So we, we might have been wrong about... Um, about the dropping dollar. The dropping dollar. <laughs> but, you know, there is still some people saying 50 cents. So, uh, yeah. Okay, we take a pick. I, I think the truthful answer is no one really knows and we just make all these guesses to get ourselves <laughs> in the paper. And the more radical the guess, the more chance you've got of getting yourself in the paper. Um, Sensationalism. Well, that's right. I mean, if you said that, if you said the dollar's going to go to seventy four and a half cents, you're not going to make the you know half page story in the financial review. But if you say it's going to go to seventy seven or fifty, you definitely will. Um, okay, so the the all ordinaries, the all ordinaries is, is continuing its rise. Um, you know, it's up another two point six percent a week to five thousand two hundred fifteen yesterday. Um, the Dow Jones was steady at seventeen thousand, and the rest of the markets around the world were, were down marginally. With the um, the UK market at six thousand one hundred forty six compared to six thousand one hundred forty seven the previous week, and the Hang Seng was. Uh, nineteen thousand nine nine six compared to twenty thousand and three the previous week. So no no real change. Uh, the oil prices can also continue to to rise in a dollar terms at uh, forty nine dollars a barrel now at two point up two point three six percent for the week. And um, fortunately, that's had a marginal a very marginal fall in the petrol prices in Newcastle to a dollar four point three cents a litre compared to a dollar five last week. So you're going to save point seven cents a litre. Um, that's according to the NRMA. But in Sydney, in Sydney, they're back down to the dollar again. Um, uh, One dollar a one dollar point nine cents a litre. So we're down fourteen percent on the week. So we're back to a four percent. Um, Four cents, four percent, same thing, I suppose. Um, price difference in the fuel prices again, and the uh, diesel price in Newcastle was a dollar fourteen this week compared to a dollar thirteen last week. So there's no real difference there, and the well, I suppose it's seen actually. Um, and the price in Sydney was a dollar seven, um, so we're seven cents more expensive than. To NURFM at 26 past 12, Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. It's time to take a look at the market and see what's happening there. Our market snapshot with Henry Jennings, who's Senior Commentator with the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Stephen. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you? That's I'm good. Day. Good, good. It's good. It's a bit overcast here this morning, but it's, it oh, seems okay. to have gone. I, I think we could do with a bit of rain here, but anyhow... Uh, so, so what's happened down at Arium? The share price seems to have jumped dramatically. And <laughs> well, I guess um, Arium um, is it, well. It's an iron ore producer, a yep. steel maker. Um, Malcolm Turnbull was actually down in uh, Wyala yesterday, uh, talking up uh, a contract that they're hopefully going to get to uh, to build uh, well to upgrade the rail line, uh, which will require a lot of Arium and Wyala steel. So that, that's a positive. But the main thing that's really happened to all these iron ore stocks is that the um, the iron ore price went absolutely crazy mm. the other day, um, which is 
extraordinary given that it's you know it's our, our most uh, our most valuable kind of commodity export. Um, the stock, well, the iron ore price up actually up twenty percent in one day, which is uh, crazy, crazy stuff. So um, it did come back last night by about eight or nine percent, but it's still doing very, very well. Um, that iron ore price. So all the iron ore stocks have done very well on the back of that, um, and Arium, of course, is no exception. I mean, you've got to put it into perspective, really, that, I mean, Arium is, is 2.8 cents, so any kind of good feeling about the stock means that it uh, it rallies quite considerably, so when you think of it back about 10 days ago, it was under 2 cents, yep. and now it's nearly 3 cents, um, it's had a very good rise, but let's, let's put it in perspective, they've still got a, a, a long way to go. A long way to go back, bearing in mind, I guess, that this time last year, they were 20-odd cents. Mm. That's, and not so long ago, they were in the dollars. Not so long ago, they were in the high dollars, yes. Mm. So, um, so yeah, yes. I mean, this is all uh, about the iron ore price. Um, and uh, we are certainly seeing some, some tentative signs of, um, of at least stabilisation. And as I say, the 20% rise the other day was, was crazy stuff. And this was all apparently due to, um, due to the Chinese government talking about uh, infrastructure spending and stimulating the economy at their uh, People's mm. Congress at the moment. And, of course, the other colourful chairman of an iron ore company at Fortescue has called for an investigation into rival miners' strategies. He thinks it's not in the national interest. Well, this sort of comes out every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wants to get his picture in the paper. He he should probably look to his own house as well. I mean, Fortescue uh, are pumping record amounts of production out too. Um, BHP and Rio doing the same. So, um, you know, they're all as equally to blame. I mean, there's four players in the world that basically control the iron ore price, and that includes those three and the Brazilian Vale. Interestingly, um, Fortescue have, have done a, um, a signed a memoranda of understanding uh, with Vale talking about blending their products. So um, that, that could be interesting. So that's basically number one and number four doing a deal together. Um, vale, which is based in Brazil, has the tyranny of distance get its products to China, whereas um, Fortescue has um, an equally uh, equally large problem in terms of uh, quality of its iron ore, which is slightly below um, BHP, Rio and Vale, and as a result they get a discount. So if they can blend the two together, which they're hoping to do in China, then uh, they can sort of get out of that discount and, uh, and upscale their, uh, upsell their price, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, positive deal for Fortescue, but it will take time. Mm. And of course... On touching on iron ore, I saw a very interesting comment from um, the uh, managing director of the Australian Foundation Investment Company, which is the largest and probably the oldest and most established investment company in Australia, about BHP, which is another Melbourne establishment company, saying (laughs) BHP was a very questionable investment over the last decade. I was very surprised they'd come out and say that. Well, I'm I'm hardly really surprised. I mean, it has been a pretty questionable uh, investment over the last decade. I think um, what he also went on to say was that uh, BHP over the last 20 years has been a relatively good investment. Um, I guess the problem that he's highlighting is we've gone through this massive mining boom and BHP in the last 10 years has gone absolutely nowhere in terms of uh, share price. And he's attributing a lot of that to paying high prices for acquisitions at the top of the market. And and listeners will remember probably that BHP bought a thing called uh, PetroHawk in the US, which was a big, big US uh, gas um, explorer and producer, um, and this has obviously had a big effect on them as the oil prices tumbled, and of course the iron ore prices had a big effect on them. But I guess that the upshot is that he's disappointed that after all this time, 
we have little to show for this mining boom. I guess that, mm. that goes uh, to the federal budget as well in terms of mm. you know, we, mm. we, we seem to spend a lot so of money in the good times and squandered all those so proceeds and uh, we didn't put them away for the bad times. Um, so uh, and here we are with, with a transitioning economy and uh, we have nothing to fall back on, no cushion of, of big mining profits. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, it's written off uh, twenty billion. On the, they're going to write off twenty billion, aren't they? I mean, oh, just a litany yeah. of things. It, it never ceases to amaze me how these CEOs make these massive bets and, and they come spectacularly undone, and yet they still get paid billions, mm. you know, millions of dollars in compensation. Well, it's not, it's not um, only the CEOs; so it's the board as well. Oh, the board! I mean, they, you know, these, these 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 guys have made massive mistakes. I mean, they've all. You know, from Santos to Rio mm. to BHP, um, the only ones that really have been kind of squ- not squeaky clean, but have actually played a pretty good game, is uh, is someone like Fortescue, which has done a remarkably good job cutting costs, steering itself mm. through a very low mm. iron ore price environment, um, yep. paying back its debt, um, and uh, and paying dividends as well with any uh, write-offs. Yes, and of course the other, the other scandal that's erupted this week, or one of the other scandals that's erupted this week, is with the CBA's Cominshaw. Apparently, yeah. apparently they, they've been uh, not paying their claims out as they should have. That's alleged. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's incumbent for any insurance company to keep hold of their stash of of money for as long as they possibly can, and to give it up, um, you know, certainly not easily. Um, and paying out claims is not something they like doing. So they usually tend to try and find some sort of um, clause in the small print to do so. And it looks like Cominsure have been particularly heartless, if you pardon the pun, um, in the terms of their definition of a, of a heart attack to some, uh, some victims of heart attack yeah. using a very, very old definition to actually withhold substantial um, payments that they should be uh, paying out in terms of uh, trauma and illness. So um, it's not a great look. Um, I'm sure, well, they've already moved and stifle the, the bad stench and the PR disaster that it is and the interest making all the right noises, etc. But I guess it just shows the, the, the sort of endemic nature of the, the banks in terms of they're not, they're not there always to serve their customers in the best possible way. They are certainly there to serve their shareholders in the best possible way um, and their, their management teams and their remuneration. But certainly um, sometimes they are very, very guilty of doing the wrong thing, and we've seen that in this case with the, the common shore. We've also seen it with one or two of the financial planning um, fiascos that some of these banks have had, their wealth management departments, and uh, mm. also we're seeing it with ANZ now being taken to court by ASIC um, for fixing uh, one of the um, the interest rates that a lot of products are priced off. So, um, you know, there's, there are some serious issues with the banks. That's for sure. And this is Thursday Finance on 2NURFM. It is 12.24.21 and our market snapshot continues with Henry Jennings, Stephen. So, Henry, ANZ, ASIC's alleging that they've been um, manipulating uh, manipulating interest rates somehow or other and uh, uh, decided to prosecute them because ASIC wouldn't, uh, because ANZ wouldn't admit it. And and now the ASIC's starting to investigate Westpac, CBA and NAB. Yeah. So so if they're all in there, one would have thought that, that the... That it would just be the market. I mean, how do you, how do you you know if ANZ's making money on these bids, someone yep. else must have been losing, and these are all big banks. 
So that then becomes the market itself. Well, that's exactly right. The the, the rate they've been accused of uh, or allegedly been rigging is what they call the BBSW, which is the bank bill swap rate. Um, And it's a kind of an esoteric rate that the banks set between themselves by mutual agreement. Um, And that rate then dictates a lot of other products off the back of it. Mainly those products are used by professionals, um, not so much the consumer products. Um, in terms of rate setting. So it is very much a professional's kind of thing, and it does set the prices for a lot of derivatives, credit default swaps, and everything else under the sun that you can possibly think of. So these guys have been accused of rigging that rate. Now, um, they have offered to settle with uh, with ASIC, but admitting no liability. Um, I suspect they will have to do some kind of uh, hair shirt penance for this. Um, the other banks may also get dragged into it. But bear in mind that so far... Um, Australian banks have been fined by ASIC a total of about $3 million for uh, alleged sort of breaches of this nature since the GFC, whereas around the globe, uh, global banks have been fined by regulators. I've read somewhere around $300 billion um, in fines. So ASIC is very much the pussycat here. Um, They're obviously trying to uh, get some claws and get some teeth and try and prosecute uh, ANZ as much as they possibly can for this for this uh, interest rate rigging, but it remains to be seen whether they will get away with it. It's a very hard thing to prove. They've really got to find a kind of a smoking gun email or message from a trader to another trader to uh, to, to, to prove it. Um, the, the biggest problem for the banks is not so much um, the, the fines from ASIC, but the potential for class action further down the track from some of these... Uh, ambulance chases in terms of class actions and and how much they would have to pay out to uh, people that have been affected by the rates rigging. But as I say, most of the rates that are under scrutiny tend to be more the professional end of the market. Yeah, a lot of big loans are, are written in um, BBSW plus a margin yeah. share. So, uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops. No doubt the, the major winners out of this will be the large law firms. Cause there's, uh, well, yeah, there's I mean, I, I guess there's, there's not so many um, left at the moment, is there, with the sort of uh, the gradual implosion of Slater and Gordon? It really only leaves Morris Blackburn at the moment mm. as the guys leading the uh, the potential class action against the banks if and mm. when ASIC is successful. Well, I thought they'd be busy looking, sharpening their pencils to go against Slater and Gordon. Right? <laughs> you yeah. would think that's so, a much more anyhow, better target for a law firm to go against another law firm. Yeah, and just, uh, this isn't really in the Australian market, but I noticed that JP Morgan, which is one of the world's largest banks, has decided that they're not going to finance uh, new coal projects in 30 high-income OECD countries, which I assume includes us. So JP Morgan's no longer financing new new coal projects. Well, that's interesting, but they did say they're still going to finance them in lower-income countries. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, this, I guess, is, um, there's a lot of um, environmental pushback, I guess, against coal. Um, the prices are certainly saying that um, coal is still on the nose, uh, unlike uh, oil prices and, and even iron ore prices, you know, that they haven't really performed very well in the last, um, last little time, whereas we have had some good bounces in other energy um, sources. So um, coal is very much seen as an environmental dirty thing, and it's good PR for a bank. Uh, especially a big bank, to get out there on the front foot and say, hey, you know what, we're not going to be funding these uh, these big coal projects. I mean, it, it looks great from a PR term, but the, but the probably the more um, pragmatic reason is that the, really a lot of them don't stack up at current prices anyway. 
Well, I did, I did notice the key word in the announcement was direct financing, whatever that yep. may and it's I, a, I think they're happy to, uh, to fund the, the company, but not the oh, project, not the project that makes sense. Oh, so yeah. they're, they're diversifying their risk by funding, yeah. okay. uh, lending money to the company, um, I guess, so long as the company isn't a one-project company. Yep. So that way it diversifies mm. their risk rather than just funding one particular coal mine. And speaking of risk, the, the ACCC has now decided to look at APA Group, claiming that they're not um, utilising all their capacity. Yeah. I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah. I mean, this is, again, uh, you know, the ACCC looking at uh, looking at things, which is what their, their job is. But um, APA Group has announced a, a takeover, um, and um, the um, ACCC is, is, is having a look at it. That's, that's what they do. Um, we'll wait and see whether there's any um, substance in it, but um, there's certainly some issues around the pipelines and the East Coast gas market uh, has had a sort of a huge surge in demand from these new uh, mm. Queensland LNG plants. It's had uh, you know, rapid falling of oil price and, and there's, you know, there's a lot of supply hurdles mm. um, that are in, in place in terms of the regulatory environment. So, um, so yeah, the, uh, Mr Sims at the ACCC is going to have a little look at this. So... Um, they don't want to see excessive pipeline charges. No, and 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 another company seems to want to jump on the China bandwagon. It's not baby food or dairy products this time. It's a company called Pentel, which most listeners probably haven't heard of, but it makes um, various uh, uh, soap bars and White King bleach and other cleaning products. Yeah. And they're going to they're going to um, develop a special soap bar for the Asian market. It's one of Dr. Elkington's favourite stocks. Yeah, and so, you know, it's, it's obviously got, it's, it's not in the same league no. in terms of market capitalisation as these big guys, but then, you know, a year or two ago, these big guys weren't in that mm. league either, so mm. um, it looks as if it's got plenty of potential. I guess, you know, they're, they're relatively household names for us. Uh, mm. Some of their bleach products, some of their, their soap products, you would recognise them, but uh, certainly they, they, um, they certainly will be pushing the organic, clean and green, Australia theme to uh, to the Chinese and, and should be pretty successful at it, I would imagine. Yeah, so that might be another thing. Listeners can look at. And just yeah. one other thing, back on the coal topic, AGL, which is interesting, has come out and said the government should pay it to close its coal-fired power plants. Yeah, no hope of that. Well, I mean, they, <laughs> the government just sold at Macquarie Generation up here, uh, you know, yeah. 12 or 18 months ago. So why, why is the government going to give them the money back? <laughs> I mean, I just couldn't believe oh, it. I think these guys are uh, yeah. getting themselves to close, uh, yeah, close these coal-fired power plants. Which the government's just sold to them. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's obviously uh, something from uh, the AGL CEO's uh, Christmas wish list, but um, don't think it's going to happen, certainly not uh, under the present government, that's for sure. Yeah, okay. Thanks for that, Henry. Always a pleasure, Stephen. Talk Have a great week. I will. Bye, Henry. And Henry Jennings from Marcus Today Financial Newsletter will be back next week with his comments on the market at the moment. This is Thursday Finance. Thanks to our sponsor, Pritchard & Partners, and Stephen Pritchard. Dividend reinvestment plans, they come up. They're mentioned every now and again. 
What are they actually? How do they well, work? Well, it's surprising. I, I saw some comments the other day that, that the approximately 200 of the top 400 ASX companies uh, have dividend reinvestment plans. I, I don't know if that's right because that seems quite a high number to me. But basically, a dividend reinvestment plan is a way a way to um, reinvest your dividends in additional shares. So there, there's basically two types. Um, there's the traditional dividend reinvestment plan, um, which you, instead of the dividends basically pay to you and you make an election and that gets reinvested in shares in the company. And some companies still run a thing called a bonus share plan. Now, a bonus share plan is you forego your dividends and get issued bonus shares instead. So is that a difference? It's a difference. Okay. And the major difference is you need to be careful is, is the tax treatment of these two things is is very different. Now, what happens with a, a dividend reinvestment plan, um, you're issued the additional shares and you pay the tax on the dividend and claim a credit for any franking credit that, that whatever is applicable um, and that, 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 that's how it works. So it's basically the same as if you got to receive the cash dividend from a tax point of view. A bonus share plan is you don't actually receive a dividend. You, you're allotted bonus shares in the, in the capital of the company. So what goes on your tax return in respect of a bonus share plan is basically nothing. Okay. But you do have the capital increase. You have the capital yeah. <laughs> yes, it actually works the opposite way. So okay. basically, what happens is, is if if you've got um, if you paid a thousand dollars for your uh, original personal shares, and you bought say a thousand shares, so a dollar each, and then you get um, like to go in the bonus share plan, and you get a hundred additional shares, your cost base of those shares actually falls. So you you now got eleven hundred shares divided by your thousand dollars that you originally paid so what's that probably 90 something cents so then when you go to sell them you make a larger capital um, gain now generally generally if your shares that you've got you held uh, are pre-1985 shares i pre-c capital gains tax shares the bonus share plan is is generally an advantage to you because the the shares that you're getting um, are deemed to have acquired at the time the original shares were acquired. Okay. So. Right. Right. So, so, so generally they're an advantage. Um, generally, on post September 1985 shares, you're better off taking the um, dividend reinvestment option. And paying the tax. And as paying you the go. tax. And claiming the franking credits. And, yes. Yeah. If you're on pre 1985 shares, of course, you don't have to pay um, the ta- any tax at all on the sale of those shares. And the bonus shares are deemed to have acquired when, when you're acquired. Now, what, what you need to look for is because what, you, what, you, what you're foregoing is the cash, the cash receipts. So, um, what you need to have a look at is all dividend reinvestment plans are you know, kind of similar, but they've all got various. Um, wrinkles in them. The major thing you need to look at is, is there any discount applicable? When they first came out, though, you know, some of them even offered a 10% discount. I think CSL was the first one had a 10% discount. Then over a period of time, that, that discount's been whittled away. Now, if you're getting a, a 10% discount or even a 5% discount, you were paying no transaction costs. That was quite a, quite a, a good deal. Um, 
Uh, so you need to look at the discount and you need to look how the share price is calculated. Um, I, I prefer ones that actually give you the share price, um, but a lot of them will use a weighted average over so many days, so you, you know, you, you're not really sure what you're getting. But if you've only got a relatively small parcel and you, and you want to build your holding up, um, DRPs are quite a good way to go. A couple of other things you need to be aware of, as I spoke uh, a week or so ago about you need to keep the records because every time you get a DRP it forms a new cost base of the shares and if you've got to go back when you sell them sometime down the track and you know find recreate 30 additional pieces of paper um you know to calculate the the capital gains on the sale of these shares it can be quite expensive and Time consuming to get those from to, the to company get the or the, the company. Yeah, so, so, so you can build up reasonable holdings over a period of time. You can get a discount um, on the shares, but you've still got to want to make an additional investment in those companies as well. So, so I mean, we've got clients who've built up significant holdings in um, CBA um, just because they bought a few hundred shares in the first. Um, issue i think it was five dollars forty and they bought for bought five thousand dollars of the shares and they've got significantly more than uh you know a thousand shares now worth a lot more money although it's probably fallen after the uh, insurance company problems <laughs> um and one other thing we'll go on to the superannuation um the uh treasury's issued a discussion paper on the what the objectives of superannuation is in the future of superannuation. So I would suggest that anyone who's thinking of making contributions in the current year, particularly top-up contributions, um, they do it sooner rather than later because I suspect there's going to be some announcements in the budget or even beforehand. So if you want to make uh, additional contributions or you want to top up your deductible contributions, get them done before the budget night, which I think is the 5th of May. Mm, and that's Thursday Finance for today. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thanks, Jane. We'll be back next Thursday after the news at midday and Julian Campbell coming up after the next news, which is happening in a couple of minutes at one o'clock on 2NURFM.